I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection Podcast. A little different today. I know I always say that, but this one truly is, uh, I think we're not even maybe even going to get into API so much today, but something that certainly, you know, myself and Anna, as well as, you know, certainly Stoplight, we're always interested to hear about kind of these different paths people come from, kind of non-traditional paths in life and uh, what leads you to getting into tech and uh, kind of software engineering and all these things. So. We're really happy to have Rizal Scarlett currently at GitHub here as a guest. So Rizal, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anna, as I had already mentioned, is uh, co-hosting with me again today. Thanks, Anna. Hey, y'all. Thanks. So Rizal, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you up to? What are you into? I'm currently a junior developer advocate at GitHub. Been here for like almost eight months now. Prior to that, I was a software engineer at like random startups in the Boston area and other startups that weren't in, in the Boston area. And I also helped to run a program called G Code House, which introduces women of color to, and non-binary people of color, to like web development and like the basics of web development. Yeah. So that's me in a nutshell. I have to say I was uh, doing my my homework here. Bailey, our producer, always sends me kind of the, the questions and, you know, the, the profile stuff because she's amazing. And uh, I went, 22 experiences. You look pretty young. It's like, wow, man, you're not kidding about hopping around lots of different places. I guess I'm curious, like, is this just sort of uh, this direction on, you know, helping um, kind of women of color and non-binary folks get into the STEM? Is this more of just personal passion or do you feel like this is something that you got perspective out of going through all these companies? Probably a bit, bit of both. So going, getting into tech and navigating it, especially as like a minority is like very difficult uh, from my perspective, at least. And after like talking to other folks too, I thought I was the only one that was like having a hard time. I'm like, oh, the culture is like much different than I'm used to. Like there's even like, at least for me, there's just little stuff that like, I think even like gestures that people <laughs> have that you may not be used to. I'm like, oh, everybody already knew what to do here. Okay. So I know that was an issue for me. And then of course, like discrimination as well. And I feel like it's a passion for me. One, cause I've experienced like some negativity from it, but then also I got I went into other programs like resilient coders and hack diversity um resilient coders is like the program that taught me how to code and then hack diversity is also another program that kind of helped me to like get into tech on the IT support side actually um and I really benefited from those so I was like really passionate about like continuing doing that same thing for others so that's kind of how I got into it. And I know a lot of people say I have a lot of different experiences, but a lot of them are internships. So I was able to like hop around in the beginning. Hey, uh, I started off in, in desktop support as well. And uh, one of people's favorite subjects once they start having a few beers is all the weird manual labor and crazy all kinds of jobs that I had. Uh, <laughs> I moved out at 17. So, uh, you know, living out of a backpack for a couple of years, hustling wherever I could, like I get it. You know, you got to find your own way. What kind of opportunities do you think are out there for people that maybe 
aren't exposed to them very early on or, or you know, that G-Code House can help expose? The main focus that G-Code House has is on software engineering and that like field is starting to get more popular. But I think some people may still not know that like they can actually be software engineers because you may look at it as like, oh, that's something for like people who went to college for a computer science degree or people who are really great at math or whatever. Other options people can look into as well is like UX design and UX engineering. I think that's like another non-traditional path that people don't go to college for. You can go to a boot camp or self-teach yourself, which I think is amazing. And I'm also um, thinking about how developer advocacy and like community management is another one that you can pivot into because there's more skills than just needing to know how to code in those type of roles. Like you can be a marketer and move into developer advocacy or an educator or something like that. I think you can like leverage the skills that you learn from those roles into like community management and dev roles. What are those skills? What would you recommend is to have to be a good dev role or community manager? It really depends too on like where you want to focus. Cause like, I at least thought I would have to be good at every single thing. But once you go into the role, you realize, okay, there's some people on my team that specialize in this part of like developer advocacy, whereas I can focus on this. But a couple skills that people could probably focus more on or will have to focus on is like being good at social media is helpful because you want to be able to like promote the content that you create or something like that. There's just no point in like teaching people if no one's seeing it. And social media is like one of the fastest ways to like spread that information. It's good to be able to also know how to create content, whether it's blog posts, whether it's video creation. You said that you found yourself in DevRel, right? So you you were an engineer and now you're in DevRel. What was that transition like for you? How was it going? Are you happy to be where you're at now? I am happy. I love this. I kind of feel like it was kind of made for me. I guess I could start where I became a software engineer and then it would kind of explain more. But yeah, like I was I was studying psychology in in college and then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to afford this. Like I didn't realize you had to go to grad school for it because I just picked whatever I found on the internet. <laughs> so then I decided I was going to uh, take a break from college and I Googled like what careers make more money and what little college so that I could be able to afford it. Tech kept popping up. I got into IT because that was like looking approachable for me rather than computer science. When I looked at the computer science requirements, they had like discrete math and I'm like, I have no clue what that is. Um, <laughs> after IT, I went into software engineering or I went to a coding boot camp into software engineering because I started working at HubSpot in IT and everyone was talking about APIs and coding. And I was like, you know what? This actually looks cool. And if I could skip the math part, I'm good to go. So I went to Resilient Coders, learned to code, landed a job, and then went back and got my degree in computer science at Boston University. And while I was working as a software engineer, I kind of missed the way that I got to help people in IT. Like that part was fun. Like I got to like see the impact that was making. Whereas with software engineering, I was like, okay, I'm just like changing this button color and making this happen. I don't know if users like it or not. So I did miss that part. And during that time, I also started like designing the curriculum at G-Code 
and teaching people at G-Code. And I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so cool if I could like directly help people, like create content and still code. But I didn't know that like developer advocacy existed. But as I got more and more into Twitter, I seen people that were doing this. I'm like, oh, wow, people have time to blog a lot. And I was like, oh, this is their job. (laughs) So, yeah, that's when I I started like researching and applying to developer advocacy jobs. I'm curious, like when you approach um, kind of the curriculum you mentioned at this G-Code program that you put together, do you feel like there's anything that you're doing that might be different to kind of adapt to the audience that you're working with versus maybe other sort of code school type environments? I think so. So I would note too that G-Code, our plan is to do like a full-term program because the owner purchased a house in Massachusetts in an area called Roxbury that's like highly gentrified. And her like ultimate idea is to have like women of color who are struggling with homelessness live there. And then learn to code at the same time. Once they're done with the program, get a job, move out, blah, blah, blah. But it's like really expensive to renovate that house. Um, It's a historic building that could house like 15 people, but very, very expensive. So I started the online versions. And I just want to note that it's not like a full long program. Like it's just six to 10 Sundays, depending on like if it's summer or winter. And basically, that's just to introduce them to web development. And then I show them about other long-term programs if that's something they want to commit to. And the reason I do that is because I think that with other coding boot camps, you kind of have to like quit your job and you may not really understand what coding is. At least like I I know a couple people who didn't and I also kind of like didn't have like the greatest idea on like, was this going to be worth it? Will I actually like it? And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to quit my job and see what happens. So this makes it low risk for them because they can just do six Sundays or 10 Sundays and meet with me and learn HTML, CSS and JavaScript. And then after that, they're like, cool, I like it. I'll go ahead and learn more like APIs or whatever else. So yeah, I think that one part is different where it's like a shorter program only held on Sundays and it's a little bit slower paced. Like coding boot camps are fast, like because they're trying to pack in as much as possible within like 14 to 20 weeks, which I think sometimes you don't get enough time to absorb what you're learning. So you kind of just have to like keep moving. And I think that's another thing that I do that's different where like I stop and like if everyone's not getting it, I talk to them and be like, okay, here's what's here like let's explain this a little deeper and like just the curriculum itself is like overall way slower I think in like some coding boot camps you just like bang out html and css in one day and then after that you're diving into javascript but we take a little bit more time with like one day on like understanding flexbox and the box model and stuff like that no I I think that's totally appropriate I mean you're right that a lot of the code camp stuff for a lot of people, it's it's like a cliff to dive off of and kind of career path. Like you got to really commit. You're all in. That's all you're doing for a while. And that's just not possible for a lot of people, right? You have commitments, you got family, you got jobs, you got to support people. Yeah. I, I've often thought about doing a code camp, but then I was like, can I commit to this? And I just don't have that. Maybe I'm a coward. I think maybe <laughs> I might be a little bit of a coward, but it, it's probably very intimidating for people who who have lives that they have to support otherwise. So this is a really cool program that you've come up with. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And like our target demographic, they have they have lives, they have children and other things. So <laughs> you, you kind of mentioned the homelessness factor here that 
is kind of part of the broader vision. I mean, are, are you engaging now with folks that are suffering homelessness and that sort of thing? I'd imagine that's a pretty, pretty hard thing to engage and figure out. I will say for the online course, not not very heavily. Before the pandemic, we used to meet at the Boston Public Library and there were a couple folks. And the thing we've always provided, whether it's the online sessions or when we were in the Boston Public Library, is they would get a free meal or a free Uber Eats card. And um, we will also cover transportation if they had to travel to the Boston Public Library. And we always um, donate laptops, but they're donated from other companies like HubSpot. And after they finish the program, we give them like financial assistance as well. Like if they wanted to go into like a resilient coders or another longer term coding bootcamp, we provide financial assistance for that as well. So we haven't interacted that much yet with the unhoused um, just because it's a little difficult until that house is actually up. But for now, like that's that's where we what we've been covering. Oh, I, I love the vision. I love the dream. I think if that comes to life, we'd certainly like to hear how it goes. I guess switching gears a little bit here on, uh, you know, kind of GitHub developer advocacy. I feel like, you know, what a huge thing this has become over the years. And there's uh, there's so much to it now. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest, most uh, comprehensive programs out there. So for you just joining in and kind of getting a taste of this, like what's your take on kind of how things work and for smaller companies, let's say, that are trying to get kind of get their game going, what sort of things, you know, have you learned that work? Ooh, good question. Let's see. I think our, our team is pretty good at pivoting, right? Like when the pandemic happened, a lot of companies were like, oh, what will we do? Like, how will we interact with folks? But I think GitHub was pretty like open and willing to pivot to the remote side of things like whether it's doing Twitch streams or Twitter spaces or blog posts to continue advocating for folks or empowering them and teaching them. And I, I think I still seen some organizations not willing to do that or like they really want in person, which I understand because that connection is there more and it's hard to do the actual relations part. But I think I think knowing how to pivot is also helpful. I think having a good manager in place that knows what they're doing. I often see like hiring for a first dev role job and they have like all these crazy requirements that they want the person to do and they don't even know what dev role is. And then they hire someone who has little to no experience. I'm like, you're totally setting them up for failure. So I think like a good thing that GitHub has done is they have like Martin Woodward, who's the senior director, and then Brian Douglas, who is the director and my manager, like they have like tons of experience and they know what to do. So coming in, like me coming in as someone without like DevRel experience, they're like, here's the tips. Here's maybe what you should try to focus on a little bit more. And I'm like, cool. Um, And I just like work on those. And I guess people think I'm doing well, like outside of GitHub. So GitHub's doing something right. I agree with that. I mean, the I think the in some ways, developer advocacy, this relations, whatever you want to call it, this whole field is still somewhat emergent in terms of, you know, what works and, you know, how is it effective? And it is a road littered with bodies in some terms, as far as like people that have tried and failed. And I agree with you completely that it's like, they just go, we need someone doing that. And then it's like, well, how do you measure their success? How do you, you know, know that if they're, if what they're doing is effective 
And eventually someone, you know, has a budget crunch and looks and goes, I don't know what they do here. And it's like, yeah, just set up to fail. Or their developer advocate has a breakdown. And they're such a public facing person that it's just, it's bad look, right? It's a bad look for your developer advocate to not enjoy working at the place they're supposed to be advocating for you at, right? So yeah, (laughs) not a good look. Speaking of, what do you feel like are kind of measures of success or like ways in which you kind of, you know, are are looking at, you know, measuring what's effective and what you're doing? I feel like measuring stuff in DevRel is so hard. (laughs) It's like, it's not really about the views. It's like, like if I write a blog post, are people like about like using a GitHub action or something like that? Are more people creating GitHub actions? I think I think that kind of stuff is hard to tell. For like my own personal measure, usually if someone DMs me and like asks me for additional help or they're like, oh, that really helped me out. Like, here's my repo, da, da, da. I'm like, that to me tells me, I'm like, okay, this worked because people got something from it and they like actually did actionable steps from it. But I'm still learning how companies measure developer advocacy because <laughs> it's confusing to me. <laughs> That's okay. I feel like every time I ask folks in this field that question, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm booby trapping you because nobody has a great answer, but I got to keep asking. Like, we got to swap notes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. The other piece I wanted to kind of pick at here is you mentioned like, you know, there's been this pivot over the last couple of years to more remote things versus kind of in-person events. And I don't know, I, I feel like it's been a rough set of results as far as, you know, kind of getting engagement and that sort of thing. And out of the formats that you see experimented with at GitHub, what seems to kind of get the best engagement? Yeah, apparently, and this is the part that I'm not good at and I don't do as much, but apparently TikToks and YouTube shorts are getting a ton of engagement and people are learning a lot from them. I'm like the youngest on my team and I'm like struggling with using TikTok. I'm like, I don't know how to use this. Um, but that's apparently our like one of our most effective methods. Like people are really into it. We're getting like thousands of views and that, a lot of engagement. People like tweeting about, oh my gosh, they just learned about Copilot from this TikTok. <laughs> so I think I've, I've seen that as really effective. For me personally, I think like my blog posts have been very effective. And my Twitter spaces have been very effective as well. Um, I do Twitter spaces to advocate for open source. So I'll like chat with an open source maintainer and I'll have other people who are in the audience ask the open source maintainer how they can contribute or other questions. And then I'll also have other audience members, if they have an open source project, like jump in and be like, hey, I have one too and I want to promote it. And I found that effective because like, GitHub is the home of open source. And like, I want to be able to get more people into open source and like understand like how to navigate it and then also help them find more contributors. And like, for me, I'm seeing a lot of results from that. Yeah, as as somebody else who uh, kind of found my way in learning tech and software stuff, it's hard for me as a, a kid of the 80s to underscore enough to this generation how like privileged everyone is in having open source everywhere, right? When I first learned, you know, like basic, it was like, okay, what do I do next? Oh, I can make Windows apps with Visual Basic, but it's $400 and the book is, you know, $75. I can't do that. You know, I don't have that kind of money. So it's like, yeah, that I love 
that through, I think this field of, Hey, let's, let's help developers use our products. Quite often it's with open source so that it's neutral ground. And that for people who are just learning, you know, it's, it's such an easy on-ramp if you're willing to just apply yourself and learn, you know? Yeah, it is like the internet's there. They even have free coding boot camps. Like it's amazing. <laughs> Feels like a pretty good wrap point. You know, and it sounds like you certainly have a passion for folks that are just trying to get started and find their way. Any good kind of, you know, tips from your perspective on, you know, how to get the ball rolling and, you know, closing thoughts here for folks just getting started? Yes, I do have some. If you want to break into tech, I think one of the first and most important things is figuring out what you want to do. Because a lot of people sometimes tell me I want to get into tech and I'm like, all right, software engineering, UX design. So like do your research. People are even doing YouTube videos and TikToks on a day of their life. So check those. That's like the first place to start. And then once you figure that out, I think you'll be able to like find blog posts on how people broke into UX design, look on people's LinkedIn's and like check their career paths for inspiration and stuff like that. So that's my advice. I love it. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can do in this field, that's for sure. And figuring out which road you think you want to take, I would also say, like, try something on for size. And if it doesn't fit, try something else, because there's a whole lot of ways, you know, there's a whole lot of things you can do. So you don't have to, like, stay in one one spot forever. Yeah, it's like, I mean, even if you get reasonably proficient at basic software engineering and it's not for you, like, there's lots of people to help coordinate and deliver software that gets built. But having some coding ability, you know, it makes a huge difference in being able to kind of engage and get involved. So couldn't agree more. Well, Rizal, this is a really cool conversation and uh, we really appreciate what you're doing and kind of your community efforts at large. And uh, I hope you're going to have great success with, with all that. And uh, I'd certainly love to hear, you know, I don't know, whenever it is that you feel like you've hit new milestones, love to hear updates on where you're going. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.